Bilingual in America. Tunei el Loga fi America. Bilinguismo negli Stati Uniti. Bilingue in America. Ser bilingue in America. I'm Suzanne Laughter. I'm Yarina Sencion, and this is Bilingual in America. Hi, this is Yarina Sencion. Today, we're joined by Dr. Vilma Luz Caban, who is an educator, an author, an advocate, and an all-around rock star. Vilma has been a great supporter of the podcast. She's been on every season for different reasons. But today, we welcome her with the lens of an author. Vilma, welcome. We're just so happy to have you again. Thank you, Yarina. It's just been wonderful seeing how Bilingual in America has just beautifully transformed. At a time you came on board during the pandemic, and it was a needed voice in terms of our community and really just anchoring us to, to really examine the importance of bilingualism. So thank you for what you and your team are doing. So thank you so much. We're so grateful that we've maintained our, our connection as educators, as Latina sisters, as colleagues and as friends. And I'm so happy that we can celebrate and bring highlight to your newest project. But before we get started with that, if you could just create a little bit of context for anyone who's maybe just meeting you for the first time, and maybe that could explain how this context has led you to where you are right now with your book. Thank you, Yarina. Wow. Um, as you can probably hear it in my voice, I am a proud New Yorker, Bronx girl at heart, originally born in the Lower East Side and then raised in the Bronx. So I am a New York City girl, part of the Puerto Rican diaspora. Uh, my parents are Puerto Rican from different parts of the island. My mother from Tuarta, Puerto Rico, my father from La Playa de Ponce biological father. And I will say that I've always had a love of learning and learning was actually an escape for me. Um, raised in a troubled home that was pretty much, you know, very unsettling for my mother, who's a battered woman. I had to witness a lot of that. And so I think that a big part of education was my escape. Now that there's more research about trauma-informed instruction, we realize that right, creating a space for young people where they can thrive educationally is a way to kind of counterbalance some of those traumatic effects. And so I'm grateful that I've always had such a passion for learning. It's kind of led me to teach, right? And so at a very young age, I cannot believe I am now finishing the 32nd year of teaching. I'm retiring this year, I can't believe it. And I, because of the nature of our profession, right, we have to keep learning. So I received my master's in math leadership and I at that point was really intrigued by this notion of equity in math education and after exploring that and taking some leadership roles as a teacher leader in the commu learning community where I teach and the district community that I teach in I discovered that this notion of math education was like a gatekeeper. So like if you don't activate quality math education for all children, what you were doing is you were sealing off the power of them entering different workforces in science, in medicine, in, you know, in other technologies. And so it is the equalizer to be able to enter those professions. And if you don't have it, 
then regrettably, you don't get on that track. So mm-hmm. that's when it started for me in my math education work. And then it just I just was intrigued and compelled to pursue my doctorate of education. I thought at the time that it was probably going to serve more in the role of maybe being a professor for the math for math education for the next generation of teachers. But then I discovered that destiny kind of found me um, in the middle of actually completing my um, doctoral work. I was approached by a person who had a nonprofit that was doing a program evaluation in Africa and Kenya, supporting young girls who were fleeing uh, FGM, female genital mutilation, at the young tender age of 10, they were being child brides. And so I went to this refuge shelter and I was evaluating their program to see if they can get better funding through the United Nations. And I completed a very you know, intense, detailed report. And I was doing this during my summer months as a teacher. And I'm grateful that I had that opportunity because that's when I discovered what humanitarian research is and that form of advocacy in terms of elevating and amplifying the voices of young women and children. So that brought me full back to to teaching. I've never wanted to leave the classroom. I believe there's power in having um, a qualified, highly qualified practitioner, especially because of my personal trauma. I feel that I'm more sensitive. I'm, I'm better informed in ways that I can support children. And sadly, you know, there are many children who are experiencing multiple forms of trauma in their lives. Um, so much going on, so many shaping forces that bring that to the table um, to our children. So I feel that at this point, I pursued that and I didn't want to let it go, but I felt that it was important for me to share my story as a teacher. It was a teacher's journey, and that's what this book is going to be about, sharing my teacher journey of how I have been this humanitarian researcher at the final stage of my teaching career, and what do I want to do with that now that I'm at this place where I'm ready to retire. Wow. So, Vilma, you know, I always believe that every experience every step that we take, every every place that we're guided to, invited to, you know, has a a definite and clear purpose in our journey. And I can see how every step that you took, every invitation that you accepted just completely created a pathway to lead you to now a publication of the heart of an advocate and the heart of an advocate. And so I know that the book is scheduled to be released this fall of 2023. Could you just share maybe one highlight in the book that you feel, I don't know, that really you want to bring light to for anybody who would want to connect with you and, and, and read your book? I will say that it is a teacher's journey. It talks about how, as a person, being in a reflective space about my profession, I thought of this word advocate. And at first I thought, well, a lawyer is an advocate. You know, people who work with refugees are advocates. But I realized that as teachers, we're advocates. And we advocate for our learners. We advocate for our parents. We advocate for our community. And so I always... I didn't realize I had that, that I wore that label. And I and I started, someone had told me, Vilma, you're such an advocate. And, and that's when that idea crystallized for me. And I started to examine, what is the heart of an advocate? What does that mean? And that's why this book came about. Each, each moment that I bring in that story um, pretty much 
personifies or helps to characterize a trait of an advocate. So one of the exercises that I did before I started writing the book is I did kind of like a brainstorm of, you know, what are the characteristics of an advocate? And I started to pretty much say, well, this person who speaks up for people is is empathetic, is compassionate, you know, is about action and it's and it's about taking risks and all the things that started to flesh out for me and then they started I started to wrap a story of what I experienced right that helps to bring this this gem right it's like a polished gem at the end of each chapter that you realize wow okay protect so you know and I offer a moment as young as five years old I'm protecting my little brother and I'm supporting my little brother in a, in a moment of crisis or when I'm a teach you know a, a teenager and my mother is trying to break free from her for my stepfather, how I am a bit of her accomplice, right, to be able to support her um, and how I'm a bit of her translator to be able to help her negotiate in an English dominant world, right, where she was, she didn't have that second language. So um, all of those things, I kind of very humbly bring forth five stages of my life as I evolved into the advocate of humanitarian researcher. Mm. You know what's interesting, because, uh, you know, I mentor a lot of young teachers, and so many of them view themselves like, I'm a teacher. And they they don't see the depth of what that role entails and all the things that you become when you are a teacher. And certainly being an advocate is an important component of the teaching career and the teaching vocation. Right. And so um, I'm so glad that that you're really bringing that to light. And that even before you became an educator, you had already stepped into your role of advocate. You had already had many training, right. you know, preparing you for that. Oh, you know, it's funny when you think of the word advocate, so it has like these different parts. Ad in Latin uh, means moving, means moving in the direction towards something. The vo, the ad vo, the voc means to speak or to call out. And that's what this memoir is capturing, how I moved forward toward my destiny with purpose and speaking out on behalf of others as an advocate. Mm. And there were different life markers that brought me where I am, right? And so teachers um, play a key role in the lives of young people, you know, and I have to tell you that teachers have to understand that they are a part of a larger community of support, that they're not doing it by themselves. And so I learned that immediately that in reflecting for this book, I realized I did not get to where I am by myself. It was a, a team of uh, compassionate people who saw potential in me, just probably as young as that, you know, fifth grade teacher that I uh, fondly write about in my book that activated a love of reading. And it turns out to be an escape for me, but it was actually a great tool. So teachers really play. A, a pivotal role uh, in supporting the next generation. Mm-hmm. You know, as you were sharing about, uh, you know, breaking down the word advocate, I was just thinking how how divinely designed this is, that, that your lens would be math and that, you know, you really anchor yourself in your role as an advocate because ad is a math word. I don't know. <laughs> you know, just, Wow, like, yes. Right? Like the universe has a great sense of humor, right? <laughs> yes, it really does. 
So. You know, and I think about the Spanish word for advocate is defensora, you know, and so I love the way that that really is how I kind of, when you think of the defensora, it means like kind of like a little bit of a fighter, right? You have to have some grit. You have to have some tenacity. And so in the five stages of my my memoir, I share how I pretty much exemplified um, strength to be able to get through some really tough hurdles. Um, and even as an adult, when I thought that I had trauma behind me, that the scariest things that could have happened were behind me, I come face to face with it in my travels in Nigeria. It was one of my hardest chapters to write about. So it was really difficult, but I'm glad I did it because I think it's important that there is an art form there that is revealed in in that chapter about the art of of being able to be your your best ambassador to be able to to be a cultural ambassador as well as to be clever and and find a way to step away from very complex scenarios that can put you in in a precarious situation so i i had a really an international dance with a situation that was very scary but i i was able to get on the other side of that and, and that's what this writing is really capturing how i got to the other side of so many difficult things oh my goodness i can't wait until this book is out because it's just going to be a game changer so now alongside with the book you also are birthing a documentary into the world. Um, I can't believe it. Yeah. Right? Yes. And, and, and it wasn't supposed to be at this time, but the pandemic made things a little complicated, but I believe it's divine timing at this point. I have a friend who says, delayed is not denied. My publisher said, Vilma, your book is like the backstory to this documentary. Like, it, it marries beautifully into this project. And at first I thought, no, I can't have them both. This is too much. But it really helps to fill in some of the gaps. It, it really captures the story of a daughter trying to complete and, um, you know, realize her final promise to her mom passing away from cancer. My mom um, passed away 10 years ago and she lost her battle with cancer. And one of the uh, promises I made was that I was going to fix the home that she never got to live in in Puerto Rico. It was a home that she was building in, in secret so that with the goal that it would be a refuge and she would be able to leave New York and go back to Puerto Rico with her children and get away from her abuser. But that never happened. And so how this first generation uh, Puerto Rican daughter is having to go back and forth to Puerto Rico and trying to negotiate dealing with a little bit of the, the local politics, dealing with family politics, dealing with my own struggles and my own identity issues as being a part of the diaspora, not being Puerto Rican enough, feeling um, not worthy. And so I was breaking through, but I used the lens of examining domestic violence in Puerto Rico. So I was able to interview some amazing community agents, community activists in Puerto Rico in different parts of the island, trying to understand this phenomena of why one in three women are struggling with domestic violence on the island and how it proliferated during the pandemic and how so many children um, are in those troubled spaces, just like myself, And but they every day have to go to school. And so how we can support the next generation of teachers to be able to create spaces of learning, right, safe spaces for our children that are coming in with a set of experiences that are quite traumatic and can clog the filter of learning if we don't know how to create those environments that are best conducive for their learning. I 
really excited that we'll be able to share my mother's story. And it's it's tough because I'm seeing myself at a different stage in my, my life, but I really get to see the transformation of where I am, you know, as a woman, as an educator, as a, as a daughter, as a sister, as a friend. So I'm just, yeah, I'm extremely grateful that they are actually just dovetailing each other in, in the release. That, this is just so powerful. And so I, I know you mentioned that you're also about to enter the world of retirement, but that's just retirement from being in the classroom. You're actually going to use La Casa de Maria with a different purpose and intention that I think is lots of voice to this conversation, but to also writers. Can you share a little bit about that? Sure. Well, the name of my documentary is La Casa de Maria Contra la Violencia Domestica. And at first, my initial um, intention was to fix this house and to be able to enjoy it with my siblings when we would go back to Puerto Rico. And then I realized, well, how about if, you know, maybe during the holiday seasons or during different seasons in the summer, I can open up the house and have it as a cultural center, you know, to be able to uh, support local artists, to be able to have workshops about domestic violence, to be able to engage community, not only for women, but for men, and being able to really help support the local economy in that small town. And then I went through this memoir process and I was coming close to retirement and I realized I, I, I had a dream. And the dream was that I was going to open up La Casa de Maria, but it was that, it was a casa. It was going to be a publishing house. And so it, it's not just going to be a house, it's going to be a publishing house. And the goal is that all the lessons that I have gathered going through this publication journey, the challenges of being published, the struggles of having being viewed as a marginalized writer in this larger context of publishing. I realize that everyone is worthy to be able to share stories, especially post-Hurricane Maria. How so many Puerto Ricans left the island and came back to and came to the United States and are dealing with a whole new set of inequities and, and challenges. And how the island itself is really losing so many of the native Puerto Ricans to business and to enterprise, micro-enterprise as well as larger enterprise in terms of Airbnbs and our beaches are not even are not you can, it's hard to find a public beach because all the properties are being snatched up and so being able to go to a public beach right now is a privilege and so my dream was to go back and to open up a publishing house but i am doing something that i have to tell you doesn't happen very much as part of the diaspora i'm actually rematriating there's a term for that being able to go back to my motherland and to do that. And that's just what I did this summer when I got my publishing proof of the book. I stood in my mother's house and I dedicated that book to my ancestors that toiled on that land. And I just said with one clear intention, this publishing house was going to break open and amplify the voices of those people who we can't hear from. And it's time to hear from them. Because one of the things that happens very much on the island, 
we saw it in, in during um, Hurricane Maria. You would call family and you would say, how are you? And they were like, oh, estamos bien, estamos bien. They didn't have electricity for months. They had struggles. They had, there was food scarcity. There was water scarcity. But all they were still saying is, estamos bien. And this is a phenomenon that people just want to just, you know, it's about, oh, they're so resilient. That's so wonderful. You know what? We're more than resilient. We have stories. And that's what I want to capture with this publishing house to be able to anyone has a story you don't have to have you know letters after your name to be able to get your your book of poetry or your your story out there if i can be a person a publisher that helps to curate your story and curate your narrative then to me i feel like all of this that i've done in the last 32 years of teaching will finally come to head where i can just be a life learner and invite future life learners to share their story. It sounds like you're going to continue to wear your hat of an advocate and really amplify voices that have been muted for so long. And you're right, that happens so often. We ask people, how are you? And they say they're fine, even if they're starving. How do we get past that? How do we um, how do we create a space, a safe space, so that they can tell their stories? It's such beautiful work, Wilma. I'm so very proud. And I know that you sit on various foundations and contribute in other ways. And I'm just astonished because being a teacher now and in, in, in today, it's such hard work. And, and yet you still find ways to give to your community, to give to these foundations, to give to this book and to your project. I just, if you could just share for people who will be listening, where can people find out information? Like where you're having book launches and, and where are you um, available that they can reach out and talk with you? Thank you. Well, I will say you can find all this information in VilmaLuzCaban.com, B-I-L-M-A-L-U-Z-C-A-B-A-N.com. There, there are different tabs that talks, you know, like I have my book launch October 8th. The book tour begins in White Plains um, October 21st. I'm scheduled to speak, hopefully, in Springfield College in Massachusetts. I'm trying to line something up in Philadelphia as well as in another place in Connecticut. So, you know, the goal here is as the word comes out of the heart of the advocate, becomes uh, takes some root in different communities. My goal is to have this book be a part of informing the next generation of teachers as well as so in education programs as well as social work programs so that we usually hear the narrative of stories like um, the renowned Esmeralda Santiago who's phenomenal in When I Was Puerto Rican talks about the story of an immigrant coming to the United States coming of age but you know that story personifies really captures a story of the boomers right. Um, this book, The Heart of an Advocate, captures like Generation X and how I directly work with the next generation, millennials. And hopefully the next generation of teachers can be equipped to be able to see that, that our profession is just not in the classroom. That for you to be an engaged teacher, you have to be 
totally vested in the community that you teach in. And that means that it's going to, it requires that you be active supporting the local PTA, the local nonprofits in the city or in the community that you're working in. That it's about reaching past um, the borders of the school, but really being a part of the community. And I'm gonna tell you why that's so important because it gives you a macro view of your role as a teacher. I think that sometimes we just see one small part of the classroom, but you know, behind each child that comes to this your classroom carries the promise of their families. And so how do you know those families by being more connected in the community? So it's super important being able to visit when your students are having games or they have a play or they have a, 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 a track meet or a swimming meet, to be able to go out there and be a face the community for our children. So it's something that I believe, I, I hope to prepare the next generation of teachers for. So yes, come to www.vilmaluscaban.com and hopefully you might even see it in the next course that you're taking in graduate school. That's my goal, so I'm hopeful. Well, bravo, Vilma. I'm beyond excited. I'm so proud. I, I'm so blessed to know you as a professional and on a personal level. And I just can't wait until the world receives The Heart of an Advocate by Dr. Vil Vilma Luzcabang. It's just such beautiful, beautiful work and and just impactful legacy that you leave behind Thank um, you. as you and transition out of your teaching into into new adventures and, and new conversations. So thank you, Vilma, for spending this time with me. I so appreciate you. Oh, honey, thank you. I'm just beside myself that you created this sacred space to be able to share this teacher's journey. I, I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Thank you for your interest in the stories we share. By sharing, following, and liking our podcast on anchor.fm, Bilingual in America, and our Instagram blog at bilingualinamerica.podcast, you are speaking your beauty. We welcome your comments and feedback, and we appreciate your support. Follow us, like us, share us.